congregation, turn your Bibles once again to the gospel according to John. John chapter 20. Having considered the, the death of our Lord on Good Friday, we now consider the account of the resurrection of our Lord on this Resurrection Sunday. John chapter 20, we're going to read the first 18 verses together, but our focus will be especially on verses 11 to 18 and our Savior's encounter with Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in by a place, fold up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood by, weeping, outside the tomb. And as she went, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned And said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, meaning teacher? Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, they must have thought that it was all over. Just two days prior, their Lord had been crucified. Darkness had, had covered the face of the earth as he endured the hellish agony of the cross. The Father had, had turned his face away and the full weight of the curse had been placed upon his shoulders until at last he he cried out it is finished before bowing his head and giving up his spirit and that's where we left things on 
Friday, we ended on that cry, it is finished, and we considered how, how those words were not cried out in defeat, but they were, they were cried out in victory with those words. Christ bore witness to the reality that the work of redemption had finally been accomplished, that, that the wrath of God had finally been satisfied. Just before his dying breath, our Lord preached one more sermon, tetelestai, it is, it is finished, in order that his disciples might take heart already then in the victory that he had won. But now we learn that those words, it is finished, were not initially understood by the disciples. Because as they come to the empty tomb, what fills their hearts is not joy and wonder, but what fills their hearts is is confusion and despair. These disciples, you see, had not yet grasped Christ's own prophecies concerning his resurrection from the dead. That's That's what John says. After he looked into the tomb, he said, he's speaking of himself more than likely. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so in those days leading up to Easter Sunday, there must have been a deep sense of helplessness and hopelessness that that filled their hearts. They seem to have taken those words, it is finished, to mean it's all over. The one whom they had devoted their lives to is now dead and buried, and now he's missing. The forces of Satan appear to have won. And now they're, they're left all alone to, to do life without their Lord and Savior. Little do they know, of course, that, that they're soon to experience a greater joy than they'd ever fully known. Little do they know that in just a little while they're going to experience the power of Christ's resurrection and the overwhelming grace of the Savior. And little do they know that the resurrection of Christ early Easter morning has has brought about, has ushered in a new era, a whole new age in redemptive history, the age of of the Holy Spirit. But these are the things that the risen Christ is going to reveal to them. And so here in John chapter 20, we're confronted with an overwhelming grace, an overwhelming deliverance that, that overcomes and that dispels our overwhelming grief and despair. The risen Christ comes to us in his word and he speaks to us a a word of gospel, his word of gospel. But as we come to our passage this morning, we're confronted in the first place with overwhelming grief. With overwhelming grief. As as John brings us to the empty tomb, we're first met by by Mary Magdalene, one of the first women to, to devote her life to following Jesus. And we know from the other gospel accounts that Mary did not initially go to the tomb alone, but other women accompanied her. But for our, for our own personal comfort, John uh, zooms in on Mary Magdalene. Mary, you may know, was not only one of our Lord's earliest disciples, but when Jesus first found Mary, you may know that, that she was a woman who was afflicted by seven demons. And Jesus had set her free. Jesus had set her free from those demons that she was given a new life and she was given a new identity. No longer was she known by those around her as as the demon-possessed one, but she was known as as a Christ-possessed one. 
And so she had devoted her life to to following this Jesus. Out of love for him, uh, she followed him. And it was for this reason that she followed him all the way to the cross. It's for this reason that she remained there until his final breath. Because Mary loved the Lord Jesus, says J.C. Ryle, she was last at the cross and first at his grave. She had stayed the longest there, and now she is the soonest to come here. She could not rest till she was up to seek him. She sought him while it was yet dark, even before she had light to seek him by. And a word writes, Ryle, having received much, she loved much. And loving much, she did much in order to prove the reality of her love. And so it's no wonder that we should read of Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb of of our Lord. Jesus had meant everything to her. And she wants to be near him again, even if that means only being near to his body. But to Mary's great surprise and to her greater distress, when she comes to the tomb... She sees that the stone has been rolled away and Jesus has been taken away. Her Lord is missing. And so she ran to tell Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They have have taken our Lord. He is no longer in the place where they laid him. It's not hard to imagine the desperation in her voice. Who had taken him? Had some robbers come in the middle of the night to, to steal him away? Was this the doing of of those same wicked men who who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him? And where was his body now? Mary is overcome by overwhelming grief. Even after Peter and the other disciple return to their homes, Mary remains at the tomb, weeping, wailing, lamenting. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. But in the midst of her weeping, what does she see as she looks into the tomb? She sees two angels in white standing where the body of Jesus had lain, one at his hand and one at his feet. And, and what do they say to her? They say to her, Mary, they say, why, woman, why are you weeping? And here too you can hear the sorrow in her voice as she responds, saying, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And notice here that whereas in verse 2 she had spoken in a rather uh, generic way, saying they have taken away the Lord, she speaks even more personally now. They have taken away my Lord. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary is utterly overwhelmed by grief. And she is so overwhelmed that even when she hears and sees another standing behind her, she does not even recognize him to be who he is. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So focused is Mary on finding the corpse of Jesus that she does not even see that the living Jesus is now standing before her. And now Jesus asks her as well, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And in so doing, Jesus' intention here is not just to question her, but also to to gently correct her. Why is it that this question keeps on being asked of Mary? Mary. 
Why are you weeping? The reason is because Mary's focus needs to be redirected. Mary needs to be shown that, that her uncontrollable weeping is not warranted. Mary, you see, has come to the empty tomb and she has remained outside the empty tomb with the wrong conclusion. She's come to the tomb with some kind of, of false uh, comfort that she can find some kind of comfort in being near to a dead Savior. Notice how Jesus supplements the question with, why are you weeping? With, whom are you seeking? And notice particularly how he says, whom and not what. Mary, you see, had been looking for something when she should have been looking for someone. Mary was looking for a corpse, for a body, when she should have been looking for a person. And so by asking her, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking, that the risen Christ is beginning to turn her thoughts in a better direction. She must begin to look for a person and not a thing. After all, suppose Christ's body had still been there. Suppose his body had, had still been laying there in the tomb. What comfort could she really have taken in that? What good would it have been to anyone? What good would it have been to us if, if Mary and the disciples came to the tomb and, and there he was, still wrapped in cloths and lying in the tomb? What good would it be to us if our Savior was still a dead Savior? The Apostle Paul says that it'd be no good at all, doesn't it? That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ is still dead, if Christ is not risen, then, then my preaching is in vain and your faith is entirely in vain. If Christ is not risen, then death still reigns. But if Christ is risen, if he is risen from the dead, then we have reason for great joy even in the midst of deepest sorrow. Because the resurrection of Christ bears witness to us that death has indeed lost its sting. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Richard Phillips reflects on this passage saying, As Mary approached the empty tomb, on that resurrection morning, love is all she had left. Love is all she had left for her faith and her hope had died when Christ died. And so Mary failed to recognize that she was looking for Jesus in the wrong place. Mary had been looking for the dead Jesus of the past rather than the living Jesus who was now before her in the garden. And so as Jesus asks her, why are you weeping? He's intending to make her see that her uncontrollable weeping is unwarranted. Mary, you see, is grieving here as one who has no hope. She is grieving as one who's come to imagine that it's all over. And so as Jesus confronts Mary with these probing questions, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? He's confronting us as well, isn't he? To be sure, we as Christians are, are allowed to grieve. God, in fact, calls us, right, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. 
But as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we're not to do that. We're not to grieve as those who have no hope. For death no longer reigns. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has lost its sting, says Paul. By asking, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? Jesus is confronting us this morning. Where, where are you seeking comfort? Are you seeking comfort in dead and lifeless things? Are you seeking to find comfort in, in sin or the pleasures of the world? Dead things that cannot save, that cannot produce real lasting joy? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking this morning? Notice secondly, how in the midst of Mary's overwhelming grief, the risen Savior is at the same time full of overwhelming grace because how does Jesus respond to Mary? After his gentle reproof, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? What does Jesus do next? Does he rebuke Mary or or scold Mary? for being so blind that she can't see that the risen Christ is now standing before her. Far from it. Rather, we read in verse 16 that Jesus simply calls her by name. With infinite tenderness and warmth, says one pastor, and in a tone which resembled that of former days, Jesus now addresses Mary with just one word. He calls her by name. Verse 16, and Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And when Mary hears this word, when she hears her own name and her own language spoken in that familiar way as only the one person could ever pronounce it, she quickly turns away from the tomb and she turns toward the one who's speaking to her. She turns toward the speaker. And with a word of dramatic surprise and glad recognition and with a word of humble reverence, she exclaims, Rabbani, teacher? And now she knows. And now she knows that she has no need to go on weeping. How striking it is, writes one pastor, that on the morning of his victory, Over the cosmic powers of evil, Jesus has full attention for the hurts of a precious disciple. Here in verse 16, we come face to face with that good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. Here we come face to face with the good and tender shepherd who fulfills those words of Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The risen Christ lovingly reaches out to this weeping woman and he calls her by name. And in so doing, he reawakens Mary and the scales of overwhelming grief fall from her eyes and and she's met with overwhelming grace. You see, boys and girls, those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not just numbers in a book. We're not just numbers in a book, but those who belong to Christ are intimately and personally known by Christ. He knows their names. He he knows their needs. He knows their desires. He knows everything about them that makes them them. And And he calls them by name. 
And so in this gracious encounter with weeping Mary, writes John Calvin, we have a lively image of our own call to faith. For the only way in which any one of us are admitted to the true knowledge of Christ is by that voice with which he especially calls the sheep by name, those sheep whom the Father has given to him. This people of God is the overwhelming grace that answers our overwhelming grief. That it's not just that you have come to know him, but, but he knows you. He knows you. You're known this morning by, by the risen Savior. The King of creation is also the good shepherd, even now as he, as he sits at God's right hand, even now as he, as he rules over every human affair, even now he knows your name. He knows my name. You're not just a number in his book, but he knows your name. He knows everything about you that makes you you. He knows the the good, he knows the bad, he knows the ugly, and he loves you even in spite of you. He knows you. Your names were written on his heart at the cross, and they were written on his heart as he rose from the dead, and they are written on his heart even now as he sits at the right hand of God. Christ has called us out of the gloom and despair of death and darkness. And he has brought us into the light of his glorious and victorious resurrection. The Apostle Paul says that we've not only been crucified with Christ, we heard that on Good Friday. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But Paul says, we haven't just been crucified with him, we've also been, we've been raised with him. As we heard in God's will for our lives, if you have died with Christ, you will also raise with him. As Paul says in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, even then God made us alive together with Christ and raised us with him. And seated us with him in heavenly places. In order that he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus calls his own by name and he causes them to share in his resurrection glory. In his resurrection victory. That as we confess in Lord's Day 17, how does Christ's resurrection benefit you? Already now I am... Born again, I am raised to newness of life. And I can be sure that after this life, I will reign with him in all eternity. Christ calls his sheep by name. And he causes them to share in his resurrection victory. His overwhelming grace dispels all of our overwhelming grief. And he promises to bring us all the way to overwhelming glory. Our overwhelming grace promises to to bring us to that place where the apostle says that there will be no more crying, no more tears anymore, where all those former things will have passed away as as we enter into new resurrection life in the new Jerusalem. And so it's here at this point in the narrative that Mary's doubts are, are banished as the light of the gospel comes Flooding into her life. 
she now sees that Christ has raised from the dead, and not just for others, but, but he's raised for her. He has risen from the dead for her sake. He has risen from the dead to restore faith, to restore hope, not only to others, but, but to Mary also. And so she exclaims, Rabbi, teacher, it's you. Early that morning, Mary had gone out to find the body of a dead Jesus. But now she stands in awe at the living Jesus who has found her. And isn't that the way salvation always goes? I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found, I was found by you. Yes, as one pastor, we might be very impressed. We might be very impressed by Mary's love, and Mary's love for Jesus is a, is a wonderful thing. But rather than being overly impressed with Mary's love for Jesus, we ought rather to be overly impressed with, with Jesus' love for Mary. Mary has gone out to seek him, to pursue him. And here we see that Jesus has pursued her, and he's found her. And so we infer from verse 17 that upon realizing that this man was none other than, than her risen Lord, Mary must have lunged forward to embrace him. Her actions were probably similar to those of, of the other women when they saw him, as, as Matthew 28 verse 9 records. There he says that the women came up and took hold of his feet and, and worshipped him. So overjoyed is Mary that her Lord has risen. All her grief, all of her unbelief has been washed away as she now stands in the presence of the risen Christ and so she clings to him. But in verse 17 we're confronted with what at first glance appears to be a rather strange response on Jesus' part. Because what does Jesus say to Mary as she, as she clings to him? What does he say? Do not cling to me. Do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Yes, Mary, Mary has Jesus once again, and, and she never wants to lose him again. But here's the thing, says Jesus, you can't have him in the exact same way that you used to. She can't have him the same way she used to. And the reason for that is because a a new era has come. A new era is coming. The, the era of the ascension. And the era of, of Christ pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. The new era of the Holy Spirit whereby she and, and His disciples might have Christ even, even more fully, even more intimately than they had Him when He was on the earth. No longer just beside Him, but, but now He'll be in them by His Spirit. Christ is picking up here on those themes that he was pressing home to his disciples in this farewell discourse. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. In John 15, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper cannot come to you. 
but I will send him to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When Christ rose again from the dead, a new day had dawned in redemptive history. A new era in which the gospel is going to go forth into all the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the indwelling of the Spirit, through the indwelling of the Spirit in the hearts of believers, Jesus was going to draw closer to his people than he'd ever come to them before. Not just beside them, but within them. And so he commissions Mary to go and and tell the disciples. And what does he tell her to tell them? He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. You hear what Christ is is saying to Mary? First of all, he he refers to his disciples as, as his brothers. He declares to Mary what we heard just a few moments ago in our assurance of pardon, that the same God and Father who, who raised Christ from the dead has become our God and Father too. Again writes, Royal Christ bids Mary Magdalene to carry a message to them as his brothers. And he bids her to tell them that his Father was their Father and that his God was their God. It was but three days prior that they had all shamefully forsaken him and fled from him, says Ryle. Yet this merciful master now speaks as if all was forgiven and forgotten. His first thought, writes Ryle, is to bring back the wanderers, to bring back those who had fled from him. His first thought is to bind up the wounds of their consciences and to reanimate their courage and to restore them to their former place. This was indeed a love that passes all knowledge, he writes, to trust deserters, to show confidence in backsliders, was a compassion which man can hardly understand. But so true are those words spoken by David. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities He has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. And so writes Ryle, let us leave this passage with the comfortable reflection that Jesus Christ never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as he dealt with his erring disciples on the morning of his resurrection, so he will deal also with us who believe him and who love him until he comes again. This people of God is the overwhelming gospel, the overwhelming good news that the resurrection proclaims to us this morning. This was the great news, the overwhelming gospel that was proclaimed to the disciples by Mary. I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. And he's ascending to his father and your father, to his God and your God. The risen Christ would have us to know and believe this morning that His God and Father is our God and Father too. No longer do we need to be 
afraid or have any fear or doubt in our hearts. No longer must we ever wonder to ourselves, does God really love me? Is there really any hope for me? For your adoption has been secured and solidified in the death and resurrection of Christ, in whom God regards us as sons and daughters, as co-heirs with Christ, to receive all that Christ has received. In this same Christ, this the risen Christ, he now bids us from heaven, he bids us this morning to, to dine with him. The risen Christ extends his warm invitation to his brothers, to his sisters, to commune with him, to eat, drink, and remember and believe that, that his overwhelming grace is still able to overcome all of our overwhelming griefs. This is what the gospel declares to us. So let us come to this table of the risen Lord with joy and confidence. Death no longer reigns. For Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, took us to this account concerning Mary. We thank you, Lord, that in banishing Mary's weeping from her heart, you have banished the cause for uncontrollable weeping in our hearts as well. For we too, with Mary, have come to know the power of Christ's resurrection. We give you thanks, O God, that we have not only come to know him, but we praise you and give you thanks that he knows us that he knows our names, that even now as we come to the table, he knows us as his brothers and sisters, that as we take the cup and as we take the bread in our hands, there's a seat at the table with our name on it that Christ himself has written and placed. We might dine with him, not as his enemies, and not just as his friends, but as his brothers and sisters, those who have been adopted into your family. Father, we pray that you would indeed lift our hearts up to heaven and that in these earthly elements we would indeed taste something of those crumbs falling from the master's table. We thank you, O God, that death no longer reigns, that the sting of death has been taken away for those who belong to Christ. May this be our hope. May this be our joy, even in the midst of grief and sorrow as we look forward to the coming of our Savior again, who comes to bring us where he is and to fit us with new resurrection bodies fit for everlasting glory. This we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.